Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Four String Sports Podcast. We are talking about the Washington Commanders on today's team preview, a team whose largest free agent move was finally getting rid of their owner. Um, will they stay the Commanders? Who knows? Are we going to have another team change? Who knows? Um, but we are going to look at uh, another year in the Ron Rivera system. Um, this was a team who had traded to bring in Carson Wentz. Um, this was a team who had a, a young player in Chase Young who was coming off of a, a tough injury. This was a team that had, you know, walking into the year, the NFC East was a lot more wide open than it was at the end of the year, you know, and, and it is crazy to think about how that's changed where Washington finished eight, eight and one on the year, exactly 500 and yet finished in last place in their division in a division that walking into the year, we were all pretty confident was only going to be Dallas with maybe Philadelphia competing after a playoff appearance the year before, but um, another year under Ron uh, Rivera's leadership, um, another year without a playoff appearance and all in all a tough season with an end of year collapse there. So let's hop into it. Washington started the year with a 28 to 22 win against Jacksonville and what was a, a fantastic game. Doug Peterson's debut with the Jaguars was a great game, but Washington came off of that win losing four in a row, dropping games to Detroit, uh, Philadelphia, Dallas, and Tennessee. They were one and four, but after that, man, all they did was win. They beat Chicago, Green Bay, and Indianapolis to get to 500, lost to Minnesota to fall to four and five, and then won three more in a row with wins against Philadelphia, Houston, and Atlanta. They were seven and five, came into uh, a head-to-head game against the Giants where they tied um, to get to seven, five, and one going into their bye week. They had the Giants again coming out of their bye week. And it was here that Washington just kind of collapsed. They lost to the Giants, lost to San Francisco, lost to Cleveland, but closed the season with a 26-6 win against Dallas to finish the year exactly 500. Um, As I said, Carson Wentz was the team's primary uh, starting quarterback for the first part of the season. In his seven games, they went two for two and five. He had 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions, threw for about 1,700 yards before Taylor Heineke came in and started uh, nine games himself. He went five, three, and one for about 1,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, six interceptions. Sam Howell, the rookie, did also get a start where he won, finished the game 11 of 19, 169 yards, one touchdown, one interception. Um, The team was led in rushing by Brian Robinson Jr. with 797 yards in rushing touchdowns. Oops. um, In rushing touchdowns by Antonio Gibson with three. Um, The team was led in receiving um, in receptions by Terry McLaurin, 77 catches, 1,191 yards and five touchdowns, but in receiving touchdowns by the rookie Jahan Dotson, the first round pick out of Penn state that uh, Washington took the year before Um, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, they were led in interceptions by uh, Derek Forrest uh, with Kendall Fuller coming in at number two with three. Uh, They were led in sacks. Um, by Deron Payne with 11 and a half. Josh Allen added seven and a half as well. Um, Chase Young did not. He's not list. Did Chase Young play at all last year? He was injured. No, he was still hurt. He was still hurt last year. Okay. That's why um, I didn't exercise that fifth yeah. year option. Yeah, gotcha. For some reason, I thought that he had played at least a little bit, but I guess not. So um, with that all kind of being said there, eight, eight and one finish for uh, for Washington. They are now uh, 22-27-1 with Ron Rivera as their head coach, only one playoff appearance. Mitch, what were your thoughts on Washington in 2022? Obviously, it was 
another kind of disappointing season for Washington. It seems that ever since that one like playoff appearance when Kirk Cousins was still here, it's kind of felt like a steady decline. But uh, even though they were 500 last year, it was nice to see a step up from the defense. Like you said, they played well. You know, uh, three of their four defensive linemen had at least uh, seven and a half sacks, which is awesome. Uh, I feel like the secondary played better than they usually have in years past, and it seems like they're finally getting something going with the uh, linebacking core. Uh, last year, they only let, were seventh in points allowed, which is amazing. Uh, so I feel like you can see where the defense is starting to come into its own and finally fall on its way. But, yeah, the offense had a lot of issues. Obviously, like you said, the Carson once experiment didn't work and it blew up in their face. And they had the resort to Taylor Heineke, so it just felt like a wasted uh, trade. Um, it was awesome to see how B- or Ryan Robinson, not Bichon, uh, Brian Robinson was able to bounce back from getting shot and have the season that he did. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how going forward the Brian Robinson Antonio Gibson duo does uh, in a full season. Um, and it looks like they're finally getting some weapons from like Terry McLaurin is Terry McLaurin, but Jahan Dotson, even though he didn't play all the games, I think you saw the promise there. And it looks like, um, you know, this offense is, might take a step forward, but there's still some of the issues that's been for a while. The tight end position is still just kind of okay. Um, I know they have Logan Thomas, who when healthy is a solid tight end, but that's a big if. Um, so I feel like the, the production there is lacking. And then the offensive line, even though they put some resources into shoring it up, I still feel like it's a uh, issue for them, uh, giving it up 48 sacks. So they're going to have to figure that out, especially with uh, going with a rookie quarterback going into next season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Skyler, what were your thoughts on the uh, Commanders in 2022? Uh, kind of similar to Mitch. Um, I mean, I think Carson I, – I think I was a little bit higher on Carson Wentz than other people on this podcast. But, again, I still wasn't really surprised that he flamed out. Uh, kind of goes back to the kind of – the whole idea of maybe Tyler Taylor Heineke should have been the starter over these last couple of years just in terms of – you know, again, maybe not the most efficient quarterback, but he definitely found ways to help the team play well and win games. I mean, you said what five, three, and one as a starter mm-hmm. this last season. Um, the and I think it goes to show that a lot of the problems on this offensive side of the offensive side of the ball wasn't like yes, the offensive line needed to need still needs to improve, um, but quarterback play was a big part of it. Like you needed. Like, and that's been a staple of the Dan Snyder just era in general in Washington is that they haven't had a a stable, reliable quarterback. I mean, what, three year, three or four years ago, they drafted Dwayne Haskins thinking he was going to be the solution for obvious reasons off the field and stuff. It didn't work out. And then unfortunately he, he did pass away. Um, but I mean, you traded for Alex Smith after or after, you know, Patrick Mahomes started coming to his own and thought that maybe he could be the solution. And then he has, you know, one of the most horrific injuries that has happened to a quarterback since Joe Theismann. Um, like, like it just, it honestly seems like the position's cursed. Like it's almost defensive of the dark arts teacher at Hogwarts. Like it, whoever <laughs> they put, 
whoever they put there, it's just it like everyone can agree that it's a great move. Everyone can agree that it's going to work for, for them. Um, I think this is one of the few times actually in the now that we've been like, oh, this isn't actually a good move for you. You shouldn't be starting, shouldn't trade for Carson Wentz. Other quarterback moves they made in the past, we've all kind of agreed with that it was that was an okay or good move. Um, and this, I, but it still isn't working. Um, and so now you have Sam Howell, um, who looked really well. But I, I honestly think that with if they can get that this last year, if that offensive line plays just a little bit better, and Taylor Heineke plays probably starts the season and actually plays most of the season. I think that this team is put, you don't have that four game skid at the beginning of the year. You have, you might also might not have been Jacksonville at the beginning of the year, but like things might've played out differently where you're not, you know, walking, going, having the record that you do and maybe challenging just a little bit more on that NFC side, at least for that wild card spot. Um, Cause we know Philadelphia ran away with the division last year. Um yeah, defense, it's crazy I, that all four teams in the NFC East could have made the playoffs last year. Yeah, yeah, and like that's that's kind of where they're at. Is like is like the NFC East is always going to be competitive. The last no one has won it back to back since Philadelphia won it three times in like what oh two oh three oh four when with Donovan yeah. McNabb and and To and some of those guys on the team. Um, so there's there's always a chance. We know Ron Rivera is a good coach. For some reason. The offensive side of the ball has eluded him. Um, defense, he's had some problems. Mostly we can chalk that up to, you know, some injuries with Chase Young and some other players. But like Mitch said, they seem to have been able to get some good production out of their secondary. Their defensive line, which is a strength of this team, played great. Um, how many different players with seven and a half sacks? Uh, Montez, what, Deron Payne? Yeah, yeah three. three. That's awesome. That's 23 sacks, 22 and a half sacks between three different players. That's great. That's wonderful production, but that linebacking course still needs some work. And I, and I think that, I think they know that. Um, so it's, 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 again, it, it wasn't as dis, as dysfunctional or disappointing of a season as I thought was going to have happen for Washington, mainly because of that late, that late second half of the season stretch. Um, but there is enough, there was enough promise that you can, you can, have some some decent expectations of this team this year if everything goes their way. Yeah, um, it's it's really tough to measure Washington. Um, I mean, a defense that was just was just so good. I mean, we we look at it: third fewest yards given up, first fewest uh, uh, or fewest in the league first downs given up, top four in both passing attempts and yards top 10 in uh, yards given up per attempt, top 10 in rushing attempts given up, in uh, rushing yards given up. And then you look at average drive statistics. This is absolutely crazy. Um, Their opponent's average drive was five plays, 26 yards, two minutes and 21 seconds, all number one in the league defensively giving that up. That's crazy. But not only was the offense dysfunctional, so was the special teams. And we got to highlight one very important little statistic here. Washington's offense's average starting position was their own 26-yard line. That was league-leading worst average starting position. This team was bad on, on kickoff recovery, this team or kickoff return, bad on punt return. And, and unfortunately, their average drive was all relatively mid or below mid. But because their average starting position was so bad, 
they were it, they were having a hard time cracking the 50 yard line multiple times per game and and you saw that with the offense um where they could get decent yards they could get decent attempts but it was really hard for this team to score on a consistent basis 24th in the league in points per game um very difficult they had a couple of great signature wins you know you beat a healthy philadelphia team in philadelphia to hand them what i think was their first loss of the season if i remember correctly and then you close the season out with a win against a dallas team who would go on to the divisional round of the playoff and you play Dallas's starter and you crushed them 26 to six. But a lot of just tough losses, you shouldn't have lost to that Detroit team week two of the season. We know what Detroit was at the end of the year. You shouldn't have lost to them week two. You had the opportunity to beat Minnesota mid season. You should have beat Cleveland mid season if two out of three of those are different outcomes, Washington is in the playoffs instead of Seattle. And, and this was a Washington team that had played San Francisco a couple of weeks earlier, lost by 17 points, but who knows what would have happened. You know, we saw Washington almost beat the eventual Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the opening round of the playoffs just a couple of years ago, led by Taylor Heineke. Um, you got to see some weapons like Jahan Dotson, I think played very well for you, but um, you know, I, I don't know what this team is using. I don't, I don't know what this team's plan is for Antonio Gibson. I think he's a great back. He only started six games. He averaged less than 10 uh, rushing t- uh, touches per game. Um, he had 46 receptions, about three receptions per game. But we we were just talking about the Packers and how it was a sin that Aaron Jones didn't get more touches per game. It is it is an unforgivable sin that you're not giving Antonio Gibson more touches. This dude averaged about 13 total touches per game. Awful. Quick question though. What what was his what was his turnover? Like his fumbles this year? Where were they at? Uh he only had one fumble. Okay, because I know that's been a problem for him in the past. Um yeah, he only had one fumble. Brian Robinson actually had more fumbles than he did. And I liked what we saw out of Brian Robinson, obviously. 205 carries, 797 yards very good uh uh rushing the ball for them um but yeah we when we when we highlight the tight end position virtually non-existent for them for the majority of the year um and when you talk about having three different starting quarterbacks throughout the season that's not that's not a recipe for success um but what i'm really a little tired of is that this is these are all the same criticisms that have followed Ron Rivera throughout his entire coaching career. Like, yes, their defense is great. It should be great when you've spent how many draft picks on Alabama offensive linemen in the first round, how many draft picks on second and third round corners and safeties and linebackers. Your defense should be good. You're a defensive head coach. But this offense is middle of the league at best. And if they're going to survive in the NFC East, if they're going to survive in the NFC they, they, man, take it from Matthew McConaughey. Those numbers got to be pumped up. Like this Washington team has to figure out how to get a productive and functional offense out there. And it starts with the offensive line, 48 sacks between three separate starting quarterbacks. That's bad. You're averaging three sacks per game that you're giving up. That's almost three sacks per game. That's not good. And that's why your quarterback, uh, your quarterbacks have been hurt so consistently. And why it's why I have hesitation to believe that Sam Howell can be as good in Washington um, as he was with uh, with the uh, with North Carolina there. But let's move on to Washington's free agent moves. 
obviously a couple of guys uh, they allowed to, to walk or they cut uh, Carson Wentz, uh, Andrew Norwell, um, JD McKissick, some guys that they allowed to walk who haven't resigned with anybody. Um, but they did also lose uh, like Trey Turner, Cam Sims, Bobby McCain, Taylor Heineke, um, Wes Martin, and a couple of more. They did have some signings um, looking to shore up the special teams. They brought in Michael Badgley from Detroit at kicker, Joshua Kalu, um, uh, their, uh, as well, um, Andrew Wiley, who was the chief starting right tackle last year, Nick Gates, um, Jacoby Brissett, Byron Pringle, just to name a few there. But looking at their offseason losses and gains, Mitch, what stands out to you? Yeah, so for what they lost this uh, past offseason, I think the ones that are going to hit their most for them is uh, Cole Holcomb. Um, he's not a household name, but he was a super productive uh, linebacker from Washington. And losing a guy like that, where when you're looking at this defense, the linebacking core is on the lower end of talent, uh, I think that could hurt them a lot. And then Chase Roller, who had to unfortunately uh, retire from injury, but um, I feel like when he was healthy, he was one of the better centers in the league. So uh, losing talent from an offensive line that needs talent desperately after giving up 48 sacks, I'm curious to see how that works for them. Um, and when you're looking at the games, the, you know, swapping out uh, Taylor Heineke for Jacoby Brissett feels like pretty even to me. So uh, pretty positive uh, there. And then Andrew Wiley, I think will be an interesting guy to watch. We know that he had the breakout season this year with the Chiefs and he did a really good job leading his team to a Super Bowl on that line. So I'm interested to see if that was truly growth for him or just the coaching and who he was playing with with the Chiefs. Um, in terms of offseason for me, I mean, yeah, losing Norwell, um, uh, Nick Martin, some of those guys along that offensive line, I kind of agree with, uh, with Mitch that that is that like our offensive line that we and not only they lost Martin, but you also lost uh, Rillier behind him too. So you know your two centers are now gone. Um, you did resign Tyler Larson, so that's you know a plus. Um. But there's a lot of turnover on that offensive line, and how is that going to affect? Or, I mean, actually, you lost like four difference or three. God, there's a lot of centers. Um, but uh, that's part of it. Is like them, Trey Turner. Uh, like you lost production on that offensive line. How do you uh, a pos- a position group that we that they need? Like Mitch said, they need talent on. So how do you re- refresh that? Andrew Wiley, I think, will do fine because he is getting his. I mean, I know that Eric Bieniemy wasn't the offensive line coach, but he—it's going to be a similar system that they're going to be running with Eric Bieniemy coming over. Um, the same thing with uh, Byron Pringle, who I do think was also a chief at one point. Yes. Uh, yeah. So yep. now, so I think that that's something we should keep our eye on too. Byron Pringle is a guy that knows the system. How's that going to work um, when they bring him in? Um, uh, Joshua Kalu is a special teams guy, a former Husker, so I just have to give him a shout out. I will say that I think getting Nick Gates at the center, he was injured this last season, so couldn't play nearly as much. He was a converted center, so we'll see how that works out for them. But I mean, they just they need depth now, and they need talent on that offensive line. And so now you're going to ask, you know, those guys to be able to fill in that center role for you. And so this preseason is actually going to be important for them. And we saw that that they ran out with their ones yesterday. Um, it's important for them because they need to get some chemistry on that offensive line and on that offense in general, especially with a new play caller there too. 
we'll see how that works. But in terms of losses and gains, I think that the biggest loss and probably the most beneficial loss is that Dan Snyder is no longer the owner. And I think that their biggest gain is getting Eric Bieniemy as their offensive coordinator. Um, because not only for Washington, this is a guy that's ran one of the most productive offenses in the league the last, what, three or four years, but also for Bieniemy, this is Bieniemy's chance to show that he can run a productive offense, that it doesn't have Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, and um, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey in it because a lot of the flack he got was that he wasn't the pri- the the play caller. And so this gives him a chance to call plays and see how it works for them. Um, and so – like that's that, in my opinion, is the biggest gain. And so, if Eric Bieniemy pans out like the way that we think he can, um, or that some people think he can, uh, then that could, you know, turn some heads and and see, and get this get this offense that's been stagnant for so long, um, get get some good good work going forward. Yeah, um, you know, you have to color this free agency as still being led by the Dan Snyder um, front yeah. office, you know, which is, which I think is one reason why I'm not so impressed by it. Um, you know, again, we see a lot of guys that they didn't, that they had drafted, that they didn't sign to second year contracts. Um, I think losing Chase Roulier at center was huge. Um, uh, losing one of your starting safeties and Bobby McCann to a division rival mm-hmm. was huge. Um, uh, that offensive line is, to me in rough shape. Like we talk about how many guys on their offensive line are converted to play other positions right now. Your projected starting left tackle was originally a a left guard with the bears. Your starting center was not a starting center. When he came into the league, your starting right guard was drafted to be your starting right tackle. Your, so a lot of this, a lot of the moves that the commanders make feel less like development moves like a young team should be making and more like plug and play moves. You know, you lose quite a bit of linebacker um, depth. So you bring in uh, uh, John Barton or Josh Barton from uh, the Seattle Seahawks who played, you know, about 80% of snaps last year for the Seahawks was okay. But the Seahawks aren't a team famously known for their star linebackers. Right. Um, Um, Bobby Wagner. Yeah. Take Bobby Wagner out of the equation. You know, and even now Bobby Wagner is back there. And when we get to Seattle, I'm sure we're all going to look at it and go, that linebacker position still looks pretty weak. Um, Fair enough. uh, 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 I I do like bringing in Jacoby Brissett and Byron Pringle. I think those are are really solid moves. Jacoby Brissett has been relatively successful everywhere he's gone. He's not a quarterback who's going to win you a ton of games. He's not a quarterback who's going to get you into playoff position, but he's a quarterback who can keep a 500 team at 500. And right now, should he need to step in? I think that's exactly what um, Washington needs out of him. When it comes to Eric Bieniemy, it's such a catch 22 because it's how much of the chief success do we attribute to him, right? He wasn't the offensive coordinator when they drafted Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, or Patrick Mahomes. He had a little bit more of a hand in Patrick Mahomes. His first season as OC was I think Patrick Mahomes' first season as a starting quarterback, um, depending on, yeah, because Matt Nagy was their OC, and then he went to Chicago after they had drafted Pat Mahomes and and, uh, Mitch Trubisky, respectively. Um, He didn't call the plays for the Chiefs. You know, a lot of great Chiefs players, if you listen to the New Heights podcast or anything that Patrick Mahomes has done, they they credit Eric Biennemi quite a bit in, in what they do offensively. So, since he didn't have much of a hand in drafting and developing a lot of the guys that we consider chief superstars, I'm very curious to see what 
his impact on this offense actually is, what his impact on the development of some of these young players, Jahan Dotson, Sam Howell, um, Sam, uh, uh, Sam Cosme on your offensive line, you know, Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, h- how they look in that. And I'm, I am worried about that halfback position also, because this is a team that um, struggled to utilize their halfbacks and they're bringing in an offensive coordinator from a system who has never really put a huge focus on using their halfbacks. Um, so I'm curious as to how that looks. And, and again, a bad offensive line who, you know, your biggest addition was Andrew Wiley and you got him for relatively cheap, which is huge but you lost uh, both of the guys who had starting minutes for you at center last year. Um, you lost one of the best left guards in football so that you could extend Deron Payne. Is that a net positive move? We'll find out. Um, but it, it's a tough looking offensive line. Oh, and then on top of that, you lost your starting right guard last year and Trey Turner who goes down to the saints. So it's, it, it's going to be tough as to what this offensive line looks like. And for a team that has been cursed so badly by quarterback injuries Joe Theismann Doug Williams Kirk Cousins Robert Griffin III um to walk in with a real iffy looking offensive line that in my opinion after giving up almost 50 sacks last year has not gotten positively better um that's that's a tough that's going to be a tough pill to swallow and I think a tough change for Eric Bieniemy. um but you could argue this is the best defense Eric Bieniemy has ever had uh, to rely on as an OC, um, just in terms of defensive line talent alone, basically. But let's look at um, the commander's draft class last year. They drafted um, in the first round at number 16, where they took Emmanuel Forbes, the corner out of Mississippi State, a corner who I believe only weighed like 166 pounds and was a little bit of a knock for me on draft night. They followed it up in the second round, going back to the secondary, taking Jertavius Martin, the safety out of Illinois. In the third round, they addressed the offensive line, taking Ricky Stromberg, the center out of Arkansas. In the fourth uh, round, they took offensive lineman Braden Russell, sorry, Braden Daniels out of Utah. Um, in the fifth round, they went and took K.J. Henry, the edge rusher out of Clemson. They followed it up in the sixth round, taking Chris Rodriguez, junior running back out of Kentucky, and finished it up taking edge rusher Andre Jones out of Louisiana. So, um, quite a number of defensive picks, um, secondary, two secondary picks, two edge picks, and you go, um, you go offensive line and running back with your other picks there. So looking at it, Mitch, you know, I feel like our only draft so far that we've graded where they've had, you know, the standard seven draft picks. But how, mm-hmm. how, uh, what, what are your, what's your grade? What's your thoughts on the Commanders draft class? Yeah, so the Emmanuel Forbes pick is very interesting. Look. Because at um, Mississippi State, he was very productive, had a lot of production, especially in interceptions. But the frame is a little worrisome. Uh, His weight is up from where he was drafted. He's now at 180 pounds, which is better. But the average, like, weight for an NFL quarterback is, like, not 194. So he's still underweight. So that's going to be interesting to see, uh, given the bigger receivers that he's going to have to go up against. Um. But the two guys that I really love from this draft class is first, Jartavius Martin from Illinois. Uh, dude was a baller last year, 64 tackles, three for a loss, three picks, 11 pass breakups, and two forced fumbles. Uh, to get a guy like that into your secondary, I think, is great. Um, gives you awesome depth. I don't think he's going to start right away just because the safety position is pretty much uh, locked up for starters. But I feel like he's a great addition to that. And then Braden Daniels, uh, 
we've harped on the offensive line a lot already. And to get a guy who's going to give you great depth on that interior, um, the dude has had uh, over four, 1,400 pass blocking snaps at uh, Utah and has only given up five sacks. And he can play anywhere on that line but center. That's the kind of depth that you're looking for for this kind of team. Um, and I really like them. Obviously, they doubled up on the secondary help, double up on the offensive line and whatnot. Um, but if I were to give this uh, draft class a grade, I would probably give it probably like a C. Uh, I feel like they addressed the positions that they needed to. But the reason why it's so low is just, I don't know. Uh, I just questioned some of the talents the, from all the guys looking on here. I don't really see like, oh, this guy's going to be the next star for this team or this guy could be like a pro bowler kind of guy. Um, but I think it's very solid. So I'll give it a C. C, the average. C for commanders, the average. Skyler, what are your thoughts? Um, So B minus. Um, But a lot of the same kinds of, of quips and things that, that Mitch said. I'm a little... Because again, I color this that this is still technically uh, a Dan Snyder draft, a front office draft from them. Um, Emmanuel Forbes, I his weight is a concern, but I, even on talent, he was a first rounder in talent. So like in production, what he was able to do, but there is a concern in terms of like being able to be healthy because of his weight, especially going up against some of those big wide receivers like AJ Brown or um, guys like that, that are in the NFC East. Um, but the fact that he has put on so much weight in the off season and has been trying to bulk up in terms of adding muscle um, and hopefully actually eating some carbs and some stuff through there. Um, oh, probably have him on the Eric B enemy diet. Um, hmm. uh, that, that, that helps, like, in terms of, like, and how I feel about that. Um, Jartavius Martin, I agree with Mitch. Um, guy's very versatile, can play really anything, any, anywhere in the secondary. Um, he played, and he played everywhere in Illinois. It was super productive between him and Devon Witherspoon. Those guys were two, two of the better defensive backs within the Big Ten, and um, part of the reason why Illinois was so good this last year. Um, I think... Uh, Stromberg was a reach for me, like a, a, a pretty, like, I think he can end up being a starter in the, in, on anywhere in the interior, interior, but like, I, I think that it was still a reach. And I think that there were some centers and some other offensive linemen that you could have picked, um, instead of him, um, but that way he played well at Arkansas, Arkansas has a lot of experience about going up against some like big defensive tackle, like big defensive linemen. And I mean, adding center depth just in general is good for them. Um, but I think it was a reach. I agree with what Mitch said on Daniels. Um, and then getting Andre Jones. Um, is he listed at edge or is he listed at linebacker for them? Uh uh, Andre Jones is listed as the right now the number three uh, defensive end. Defensive end. Okay, so I think that's yeah. I think that's more of where he should be. Um, he played he played relatively well at Louisiana, but he's the thing I have to say is that he he is a little bit older. Did play six full seasons there. 
um, was productive while he was there, but um, a little bit more like, again, he's kind of a project, but he's older. Um, it's like 24. And again, I say that even and I'm 24, Brady just turned 25. Like we're like, that's not old, but like in terms of the NFL, it's in terms of trying to develop a player into something, um, you want them to be a little bit younger than that. Uh, so yeah, B minus for again, like, like these players all fit a need for them on that offensive line. Um, they needed depth in the secondary, um, but B minus because again, I don't know how many of them, like Bitch said, I don't know who's going to be like a star for them. Um, and also, I would have liked a little bit more linebacker depth um, in this draft. Yeah, I give it a C minus, you guys. I mean, so first off, I don't love the Emmanuel Forbes pick. I, Emmanuel Forbes is the only guy they drafted that I can absolutely see being a starter in the NFL. But six foot, one hundred eighty, he's he was a he was a ball hark ball hark at, at Mississippi State. Don't get me wrong, and I think he has the speed to be able to keep up with your Devonte Smiths and your CD Lambs, um, and and whoever the Giants end up trotting out there. I just I'm I worry so badly about his size. I mean, he's he is someone who just in terms of his his physical size, six foot, one hundred eighty pounds. Um, God forbid he has to cover a tight end. Like I think this guy can only work in the slot. Really, I don't I don't think he has the ability to be an outside guarding corner because AJ Brown is just going to body him up and down the field. Um, because uh uh. CD lamb is still going to body him up and down the field. He has the speed to keep up with those guys. Don't get me wrong, but I, you put a jump ball up in the air and it, and it, I don't really see him being able to make many stops, honestly. Um, and then when I look at the rest of this draft class, I just don't see a lot of starters here. I mean, Jartavius Martin is going to, unless they make it a point to play him, he's going to, he's going to find a hard time getting consistent non-special team snaps in that safety room. Um, Ricky Stromberg, I think has the ability to play multiple positions. So does Brayden Daniels, but I've not seen Washington historically be able to develop offensive linemen like this, the way that I would need them to develop these guys, because I think Ricky Stromberg and Brayden Daniels can both be starters in the NFL. I think that they can get real solid um, uh, production out of them, but you have such a piecemeal offensive line already. And these guys are buried in the depth charts because you've gone out and signed a starting right tackle. You've signed a, a starting center. You've signed a couple of backups at positions also. And you've moved guys around so much that you needed depth, which is where it's a good thing that they drafted multiple offensive linemen. But I don't see this team being able to develop these guys the way that I think that they should be developed. If these were guys who had gone to even any other NFC East team, maybe besides the Giants, I'd be a little bit more confident in their development. I could probably name 20 other franchises. I'd be more confident in their ability to um, develop an offensive lineman than Washington right now. Um, and then those last three picks, I just look at it and I go, such a deep tight end class for a team who didn't draft a tight end and was so in need of drafting a tight end. I mean, take KJ Henry, a guy who I don't think is ever going to see starting minutes on this Washington defensive line. Are you kidding me um, with how stacked it is already? This is a team who could have drafted in that round instead. Josh Wiley, um, Durham Payne, Will Mallory, uh, uh, Payne, Dur sorry, not Durham Payne, Payne Durham, um, and uh, Davis Allen, all tight ends taken in that same round. 
any of those guys can step up because like Mitch said, when Logan Thomas is out on the field, he's a, he's a pretty decent tight end, but it's a struggle for him to stay out on the field. And it's a struggle for this team to get solid production out of the tight end position to just ignore that position, which for an offense that Eric B is coming from where he's got hands down the best overall tight end in the league to go to a team who's having a hard time finding any production at tight end and hasn't had a hard time finding production since the likes of Chris Cooley or Austin Safari and Jenkins. Um, like, I just don't understand this franchise's complete disregard of the tight end position, especially when they look around the rest of their division and they go, the Giants have just added Darren Waller. The Eagles are Dallas Goddard and the rich getting richer at tight end. And the Cowboys have several productive guys at tight end and they've went out and the Cowboys address the tight end position, this draft class, you are hands down the worst at tight end. And, and on top of that, you don't address your interior linebacker position in a draft where you could have done that also. So now the rest of your division is getting better in terms of your tight end versus linebacker matchup. And you're not really addressing that position at all. Again, like just Washington's complete disregard for the tight end and linebacker position draft after draft after draft is, is something that is, it's getting to the point where they're not going to be able to bounce back from it. And they may have a great offense, but they'll have a bad defense or they may have a great defensive line and secondary, but that linebacker position would be such a, a crutch for them that it, they're having a hard time getting the stops that they really need to get. So yeah, all in all, I give it a C minus. Um, I think there were a lot of other positions this team could have drafted from um, Emmanuel Forbes will be a starter because he has to be. But other than that, I don't see anybody starting out of pure necessity for this Washington team. Um, with that being said, let's look at Washington's schedule. Again, they finished last in their division, but we're exactly 500 in 2022 and they're going to kick the season off. Um, at home against Arizona before traveling to Denver and then come back home for Buffalo uh, before a road trip in division to Philadelphia back home against Chicago at Atlanta um, followed by two divisional games in a row at the Giants back home against Philly. Um, they then go to New England uh, followed up with another cross country trip to Seattle come back home against the Giants at Dallas, back home against Miami. So as you can see, quite a bit of traveling, and it only gets a little worse from there. Going uh, after Miami, they have their bye week before going back out to the West Coast to play the Rams. Uh, and then at the Jets, home against San Francisco and close the season at home against Dallas. So not a particularly easy schedule um, in terms of opponents and not a particular easy schedule in terms of flying um, and just traveling in general but mitch how do you think washington's gonna do brand new starting quarterback for the umpteenth year in a row uh tough division to play in what's your record prediction bud after going eight and eight 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 and one last year i think they're gonna take a step back and go six and eleven uh we just looked we just looked at the schedule and you know you're already in the nfc east which is gonna be a slog you have to play the nfc west which is one of the better divisions and Surprisingly, the AFC East now is one of the better divisions. So those are a lot of tough teams, especially when you have a rookie quarterback in Sam Howell um, or second-year quarterback in Sam Howell. Uh, I just don't see how they're going to fare well against that schedule. The offensive line is still a big issue for me, even after the addition of Andrew Wiley. Uh, the, like Brady was just talking about the tight end position, 
no big additions. And with getting a guy like Eric Bieniemy, where the tight end is a crucial position for the offense, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. I mean, I just feel like this year it's really going to be on the defense to just be amazing again for them to get some kind of production. But yeah, I think they're going to go six and eleven. Six and eleven, big step back. Skyler, what are your thoughts? I'm going one worse. I'm five and twelve. Um, I do think that, and I'm like the Washington Homer on this podcast. Um, I yeah, it's a mixture of. We have no idea what this offensive line is going to look like, and you're going up against, you know, some of the toughest divisions in football, all who have a history of building better depth and being better on the lines than you. Um, you have a second-year quarterback in Sam Howell, um, who I think will do well. Um, but I mean, your your schedule is up against you, and in a in in a increasingly more, um. And and an increasingly more competitive NFL. Um, you can't go through years like they're going like you can't have off seasons like they've had because um in terms of both free agency and in terms of ownership and all of that, because you can't make the free agency moves, you can't do any of those kinds of things when your owner is in as much trouble as he is. Because it freezes it freezes up assets, it it um makes Doesn't it build an to... environment people want to go to. Yeah, it doesn't build an environment people want to go to. And so, no, and, like, like honestly, and, like, Washington also, like, <clears throat> Washington, D.C. is one of those cities where it's, like, okay, yeah, Maryland's right there, Virginia's right there. So there is, like, some things that are awesome about it. But, I mean, there's – the city of Washington itself isn't going to invite players to it. Like, you need to have a better culture and things there to draw people in. Because, I mean, we saw in New England, Tom Brady being there brought quality players to New England. Joe Burrow being in Cincinnati is helping people, uh, helping them get free agents. Um, you don't have that in Washington. Um, and then your owner being, your previous owner being the dick that he was, doesn't help that either. And so I honestly think they're the worst team in the NFC East. I think that there's probably, I'm, I'm going to say they're going 5-12. They'll probably surprise me because it's the NFC East. Um, but their schedule is so tough that it's kind of hard to envision them even challenging for the playoffs. And so that's why I kind of have to put them at five and 12. Yeah. I, and I thought I was going doom and gloom. I, I have them going five and 12 also. Um, you know, I want to, I want to talk about what Skyler brought up first though, because it is, it is crazy when we look at the amount of talent that um, the area of the country known as the DMV produces the DC, Maryland, Virginia area produces such an incredible amount of quality college and NFL (laughs) talent, but you have such a hard time grabbing from that pool because, and and this is actually kind of part of it because you don't have historically great college football programs in that area. So even like Dwayne Haskins, who was from that area goes to Ohio state ends up back in his home area. I mean, he grew up like I think 10 minutes away from where Washington plays. Like he was yeah. not very far, but because you don't have an environment that is, is developing great young players. Um, you're, you're hoping for home run talent. You don't have people who are, who are coming into this area. And I thought really that one of the dumbest decisions Washington made was announcing what their new stadium was going to look like because they cut something like 20,000 seats. 
So Washington went from a stadium who was struggling to sell out. But if you guys remember, like Robert Griffin III's playoff year or the playoff year they had Kirk Cousins, that stadium was sold out. That stadium was at capacity. It was one of the largest in the NFL. And now they're going to turn around and have one of the smallest stadiums in the NFL. And that to me is a huge, is a, is a huge knock just talking about what Skyler kind of talked about. Well, no, but, what I'll also say, Brady, I do want to follow up because yeah. of the change in ownership, that plan for that stadium might not come to fruition. Good. I I really hope that it doesn't because it, shrinking a stadium at all is is not good. And Washington is a historic like they have a diehard fan base in that area. You know yeah, whether it's like shit. Recently, absolutely, but like they've that. been yeah. you know in in the Snyder ownership one playoff win in the in the how many years he was there. I mean when the number one player who's coming out in uh, like pro Dan Snyder is your worst signing of all time, Albert Hainsworth. That's not a great look when he's the guy who's yeah. like, Dan Snyder was always nice to me. Like, of course he was, dude. He was paying you 90 plus million dollars to do nothing. The, the but the other thing I'll say is like one, sorry, one last thing about culture, just because I like it needs to be said. When we're talking about how shitty their offensive line is, if you look at offensive linemen who have left Washington because they wouldn't give them extensions, these are like all pro greatest offensive lineman of all time Trent Williams was in Washington for a little bit Eric Flowers was in Washington for a good chunk um who Brandon Sheriff Brandon Brandon Sheriff Sheriff was in Washington if you have any of those guys on this team I think this team can challenge for the NFC East but you don't because why why because Dan Snyder was a cheap ass dude and didn't want to pay anybody money and so that so that that's part of the that like that is why they're in this position now Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, I think that this team starts the year out one and oh, they should be able to beat Arizona. Arizona is, should trot out one of the worst teams in the league next year. Um, but there are some stretches where this isn't bad offensive line that plays some really tough defensive lines. I mean, Buffalo and having to go up against guys like Ed Oliver and Von Miller and the likes of that Philadelphia with already the league leading sack team from last year, getting richer with the addition of Jordan Davis. Um, that's tough. Um, you get a little bit of a respite with Chicago and Atlanta, but those are teams whose, you know, defenses are worse, but offenses I think are objectively better than what Washington's going to put out on the field. Another tough stretch of defensive linemen with the giants, Eagles and uh, Patriots. Um, and then you turn around to that end of season stretch. We l- let's list some of the pass rushers they have to play. Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, Micah Parsons, and uh, uh, who's the other Dallas guy? Dexter Lawrence? No. Oh, uh, Demarcus Lawrence. Demarcus Lawrence. Um, Miami with guys like uh, Christian Wilkins and now Bradley Chubb. Um, you get a bye week, you come around to uh, the Rams and Aaron Donald, Quinnen Williams with the Jets, George Kit or uh, not George Kittle uh, as a pass rusher, <laughs> Jesus. Um, uh, uh, Nick Bosa and some of those other guys and Fred Warner just the linebacker position and close the season against Micah Parsons again. For a team that gave up almost three sacks per game, that is a miserable stretch down the back half. I think they might be able to eke out some wins early in the season. Um, they should be able to beat Arizona, Chicago, and Atlanta um everything else is a huge toss-up so they're, they're a good enough team to win a couple of divisional games that's just how the nfc east always works out i can't remember the last time anybody has swept the nfc east um but um they should be able to win maybe one or two divisional games that gets them to five wins but everything else is too much of a toss-up for me to throw in favor of washington i got them five and twelve which in my opinion four years in new ownership new leadership i think might be enough 
to to have the grounds of firing the likes of Ron Rivera. But let's talk about a big prediction here. Uh, Mitch, what's your big prediction for the Washington Commanders in 2023? A little bitch spoiling my big prediction. Uh, I think that Ron Rivera is the first head coach fired this season. You think he gets fired in season? Yeah, I mean, just looking at the situation, you got, like we said, they got new ownership. There might be a new uh, team name. And, we, and we've seen it so many times before when a new owner, a new GM, a new head coach comes in there. They always want their own guys. And looking at Ron Vera, he's a good coach. We saw how the height of uh, his coaching ability in Carolina. But in Washington, it just hasn't worked out, especially on the offensive side. And, and if it's a bad season like we're predicting it to be, whether it's 6-11, and 5-12 kind of thing, I don't know how much they're going to want – to wait around on uh, Kevin Runver and see if he can figure it out for another year. So I think they're going to pull the plug on Ron Rivera if it goes as bad as we think and put their own guy in and start the post-Dan Snyder era. Um. For me, um... If you need a second, I can go. Yeah, yeah, go, please go. So I'm going to take Mitch's one one step further. I think Ron Rivera gets fired and Eric Bieniemy becomes the new head coach. Um, I think that this was all sort of part of the plan. It didn't make a lot of sense for Eric Bieniemy to leave Kansas City. It seemed like he would be the heir apparent um, to to Andy Reid whenever that happened. There's not necessarily been any indication that Andy Reid was looking to retire anytime soon, but that in our heads, we treated it similar to the Josh McDaniels in New England situation, mm-hmm. you know? But McDaniels left for a head coaching job. Eric Bieniemy didn't. And, and the only way it made sense is Eric Bieniemy looking around and being like, okay, I didn't get a ton of interviews to be a head coach anywhere else. So maybe I need to prove that I can be a good OC somewhere else. You know, like maybe he saw what happened with Nathaniel Hackett this last year. And he said, okay, I need to prove that my way works somewhere else in order to get these, these interview opportunities to be a head coach. That was the only way it makes sense in my head. Um, so, if Washington bites the bullet and fires um, Ron Rivera, I think Eric Bieniemy is a the natural decision to be at least the interim head coach, and b if it goes well, if the offense does take a step in the right direction, could be one of the rare times in which the interim head coach gets to keep his job. You know, um, because we've looked at other interim coaches in the past and we've gone, hey, um, who is the guy who who was with Carolina, the interim head coach last year? Was that Steve Wilkes? Yeah. Steve Steve Wilkes. Wilkes, Rich Versace in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas. Even a couple of years ago when Atlanta, before they had brought in Arthur Smith, like there's been times. Raheem Morris. Yeah. There's been times where we've gone and been like, okay, I think maybe this interim head coach deserves a season of his own. Let's see what he can do. Eric Bieniemy, I think, is a natural choice to move into a Ron Rivera head coaching vacancy, and I think is a natural choice to at least get a shot to be a head coach because, hey, if he's as good as everybody says that he is, he could be a great coach for Washington, and they would be remiss to let him walk somewhere else to go be a head coach with 
you know, who knows if the Saints keep Dennis Allen long term or what Seattle's going to do here as Pete Carroll continues to get older or, you know, how long some of these other experiments across the league are going to work. So, yeah, I'll take Mitch's prediction. I'll go a step further. Skyler, do you have one or do you, do you not? It's OK if you don't. I got one because um, I'm going to keep it. Chase Young does not finish the season as a commander. Ooh. Wow. I feel like with them not picking up his fifth year option with the new owner coming in. Um, I don't think they have a new GM right now, or do they? Uh, they I don't think I don't think they changed GM at all. I I can double okay. check, but I also don't think that they changed. GMs. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that when Ron Rivera gets fired, their GM's probably going to if he didn't get fired earlier. Um, and whoever becomes that like interim GM, um, whoever comes in, I think that they realize that they're going to need a lot of draft capital, and they're going to need some. Um, people to come in oh ron rivera is listed as their top executive okay so ron rivera goes and you get a new a new gm oh no uh, um martin mayhew is the gm of martin mayhew is okay gotcha um uh, so either way whoever the person is that's making those decisions um you're gonna have a lot of people if you put chase young up for a trade there's gonna be a lot of people that are gonna want uh a uh, former defensive rookie of the year, you know, very, very talented defense, young defensive end on their team on a rookie contract um, for at least the rest of the year and something that you can you can extend him a little bit if you'd like um, for probably not that much money. So um, especially because he's been injured a, a lot and hasn't been, you know, putting up a ton, ton of production. And Chase Young is the first person to admit that he hasn't he hasn't lived up to expectations. So um, you can get a trade out there, get some good picks, and then the new GM and new head coach walk in with um, uh, some some picks for for next year um, is what I, is really what I think it's. Because if you look at Josh Harris and the kinds of things that he does with all, all, with all of his owner, all the teams he's taken over, that's like one of the first things they do is they come in and they kind of clean a house. Um, so I could definitely see that happening. All right, so let's talk about us. Let's talk about um, our uh, number one factor that's going to determine the season for the Washington Commanders. Mitch, one thing, player position, weather, traveling, you know, team name change, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, unrest in Washington once again. What's going to be the thing that's going to factor into the Commanders season? I'm going to steal Skyler's hot take, and I'm going to say Chase Young is going to be the defining factor this season. Um, I feel like if he's able to stay healthy and he takes that next step forward, uh, having that to the addition to what we already know is on that defensive line, I think could really help out the Sam Howell this season. We've seen uh, how a, a monster defensive line can propel a team. You know, just look at the – Philadelphia Eagles and all their Super Bowl runs. So if they're able to get that kind of production uh, from Chase Young and whatnot, I think they could really help the team out and maybe they could exceed some expectation if things go right. But um, if Chase Young isn't able to stay healthy or whatnot, then I feel like the it's going to hurt them a bit and it's going to be bad. Skyler, what about you? Uh, I'm going to go Sam Howell, Jahan Dotson. Uh, how that connection lines up, I think, can make or break a lot of what happens for this team um, in terms of, you know, the future, at least the future of that offense. 
Um, you can put in Brian Robinson. You can put in Antonio Gibson, any of those things. But, you know, with J.D. McKissick leaving, you're going to have a huge hole in your receptions. Um, who's getting a ton of receptions? And I think Jahad Dotson is one of those people that um, we saw the flash in the pan that he could be last year. We saw in the preseason game he played relatively well with Sam Howell. If they can keep that up, if they can play well, um, they might surprise some people. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go very standard Brady pick here. I'm gonna say their offensive line. I mean, 48 sacks last Ooh. year. Um, your your uh coming in with a second year quarterback who's really gonna get his first chance. He only started one game last year. Um, I think he only played technically in one game last year. Um, you are putting a lot of faith into an offensive line holding up. So they've got it, they've just got to hold up. Um, you've got a lot of plug and piece players. You have some developmental prospects. If your offensive line can stay healthy, you have the pieces to make this offense work. Like, it's crazy that we've gone this entire episode and we haven't talked about Curtis Samuel yet. Like, you still have that guy there. You have Terry McLaurin. If Jahan Dotson steps up, then then not having a tight end isn't as much of a huge factor. Having some depth at running back is a bonus for you. You've got a really good defense. If everything works, and that means everything, this is a team that can compete. Like that's that's not shocking to say that if everything goes better, you know, if everything goes as they hope it'll go, that this is a team who could win 10 or 11 games. But all of that starts with the offensive line, because if that collapses, Sam Howell isn't going to have time to make the tough decisions. He's not going to be able to put the ball where his receivers can get it. He's not going to be able to stay healthy. And then you put in Jacoby Brissett, again, a very good backup quarterback, but he's going to run into the exact same problems. And then your defense, there's going to be so much more of an expectation put on them. And last year, your defense stepped up and rose to the beyond expectations for you. Number one, top five, top 10 in so many categories. But because your offense struggled so badly, you couldn't pull out wins. This is a tougher schedule this year than they had last year. It's going gonna, it's gonna to all come down to that offensive line for Washington, their ability to stay healthy, their ability to keep the quarterback healthy. So with that being said, that's our Washington Commanders preview. We're going to come back and talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers next time, venturing back into the AFC uh, North after yeah um, back into the AFC North there um, it was a uh, rookie season for Kenny Pickett second year for Najee Harris year whatever for Mike Tomlin and he still just finds way to win finds ways to win baby still avoided a below 500 season um, a crazy statistic out of that um, and we also witnessed the death of Heinz Field which is so sad um, for football fans everywhere. But uh, we'll come back and talk about Pittsburgh. Email us your guys' thoughts on Washington at fourthstringspagmail.com, F-O-U-R-T-H string, spagmail.com, and have a fantastic night, everybody.